All right, you got your Bibles this morning? Open them up to Romans. Romans, we are continuing our series in Romans, and we're going through the book of Romans in, in eight weeks. It's crazy, I know, but that's what we're doing. And, uh, but let me challenge you. We, we talked about it earlier. Don't stop just at Sunday morning. We encourage you uh, two things. One, if you're not part of a summer circle, Go be part of a summer circle. You don't even have to sign up. You can just show up. All the directions are in your bulletin. Uh, there's four different summer circles, one meeting tonight, two meeting on Wednesday night, one meeting on Saturday. And it's just a chance for you to get to know other people, to go deeper in, into God's word where you can ask questions. So that's one thing. Go to a summer circle. Go deeper in the, these. We'll be looking at Romans chapter 11 and 12. And then second thing is, is read it for yourself. Take time daily uh, to read through God's word, read through Romans chapter 11 and 12, and let that soak in. Because sometimes you just don't get it on the first try. You got to you know, take it each day. You know, you got to uh, listen to a sermon. You've got to uh, talk about it in a small group. You've got to journal about it. You got to pray about it. So I encourage you to keep getting God's word inside of you. So in Romans 11 and 12, we see a switch take place in Paul's writing. Uh, all the way through chapter 11, Paul has been talking, uh, speaking doctrine, right? What's, what's doctrine? He, he's, he's talking about the why, right? Why did Jesus have to come? Why did Jesus have to die? Why, why, why do we need saving? How does salvation work? What's actually going on? So the first 11 chapters of Romans, he's been showing us that, hey, you know, you were once lost. There was no way out, right? You were, you were stuck in your sin. There was no way to heaven. You were destined for hell. You know, all of these things, and he was proving them to us. But then Jesus came, and, and that's why he had to die. And he took our punishment, right? And, and he restored us and made us new when he died on the cross, when he rose again. This is why he had to do those things. So now when we have faith in Jesus, he takes the penalty for us. He forgives us of our sin, and now we can have eternity in heaven. So he, he lays out all of these different things of why there's now no condemnation, why now we can live in freedom, right? And how we can be saved, all those different things. But then in chapter 12, it switches, and it says, in light of all of these things, in light of all of this information, how should we respond? How can we practically respond to what God has done. And so Paul begs Christians to live in a certain way in light of what God did to them. So 12 through the rest of the chapter, very, very practical, very practical. Uh, and so this is kind of our logical response to God's mercy, to what God did on the cross for us. You know, you ever notice there's a lot of logical responses in life that, that just make sense, right? If you have a hammer and a nail and you're hammering something in and you catch your finger, Anybody ever do that before? A logical response is to say, ow, right? I mean, that's, that's a logical response. Nobody's like, oh, that felt really good. No, no, when you smash your finger, it hurts. You, you, you yell, ow. If someone tells you a joke, what do you do? Laugh, thank you, right? You laugh, you can't help it. If it's something funny, has anybody ever been in a, a meeting where somebody tells a joke or you see something funny, but it's not appropriate to laugh at that point, right? And you're just trying to hold it in. Like, what's wrong with you? I was in a, a meeting with my boss once. Uh, this was a, a long time ago. One of the first bosses I ever had, and, and this was a very distinguished, very proper lady, right? I mean, 
Uh, she wore a dress or like a pantsuit every single day to work. I mean, very dignified. I, she didn't really joke around. I don't know if she had a, a joking thing. And, and so we're, we're sitting there, we're meeting. It's just me and her. And I mean, I don't know what she had for lunch. But this dignified woman, she just rips one. All right? Now, what am I supposed to do in that moment? Because she acts like nothing happened. I mean, she just plays it off like, oh, the chair probably creaked or, you know, the floor. There was not, you couldn't blame the dog. It was not, and I'm sitting there trying to, <laughs> no, nothing's wrong. Just keep going. You, know? you can't help but laugh. You can't help but laugh. It's just a logical response. Uh, maybe, you know, you're, you're at a, you're at a game or something, and your team scores a touchdown or scores a goal or hits a home run or makes the basket, right? What do you do? Yeah! You, you stand up, you cheer, you get excited, you get loud. Because it's just kind of a logical response when, when something good happens. Or maybe you're sitting at home and you're watching the football game, and the refs blow a call. What do you do? You start throwing things at the TV. Come on, ref, what are you, blind? Right? And we, we get angry. There's just scenes, some things in life that just seemed natural, logical responses. And so today, the big question that we're looking at is, what should be our logical response to experiencing God's grace? Right? That's what we're looking at. That's what Romans 12 is all about. What should be our logical response to experiencing God's grace? How, how should we react to it? Right? When we, we get God's grace, what should we do? Should we cheer? Should we cry? Should we yell? Should we scream? Should we say, ow? I, you know, what, what do we do? So that's what we're going to be looking at. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, tells us this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Jesus, thank you for your word today. God, I pray that you would open up these scriptures that we're going to be looking at in Romans 11 and 12 today. And, and God, that we wouldn't just hear them, but Lord, we'd apply them and we'd do them. In Jesus' name, amen. So it starts by saying, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So it's saying, therefore, in light of everything that Paul has just taught us in Romans 1 through 11, the, the whole story. So again, going, going back, that we're sinners sentenced to hell, that there's no way out. And then Jesus came and he died and he took our punishment, right? And when we have faith in Jesus that he saves, therefore, because of all of that, he says, in view of God's mercies, in view of God's mercy, some translations say mercies because God's just got so much mercy he has on our lives. I mean, think about all the things that God's given us. He hasn't just given us salvation, but all the mercies that he lists uh, throughout the rest of Romans. Uh, again, no condemnation, that there's no guilt, that God remembers our sins no more, right? That whiteboard is gone, it's erased, it's clean, that we are forgiven. That's a mercy God's given us. In light of the mercy that God has adopted you as children, that he's put your name on, on you, that, that you have a family to belong to, you're part of the family of God. Not only that, you are an inheritor, you're an heir, you're a co-heir with Christ. We no longer live under the law, but now we live in relationship. We have peace with God, right? We've been fighting God our whole life because we wanted to live in the kingdom of sin, but now we've got peace with God. 
Another mercy that he's given us is access to grace. He's given us access to the throne room of God that at any moment we can pray and God hears us. We read last week that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. That he's given us access to resurrection power. That's another mercy that God's given us. The assurance that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And the hope and the confidence of coming glory that Jesus is going to come back to take his church to be with him. Right? Think about all of the mercies that God has given us. So it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, in light of everything that God has done for us, he, he says this, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. He says, this is your true and proper. This is, this is what you should do when God gives you all this mercy, is you should become a living sacrifice. And we'll get to what that living sacrifice means in just a minute, but, but look at those words, true and proper. In some translations, it's translated your spiritual act of worship. Some is, it's reasonable, it's rational. Other translations, it's your intelligent or appropriate response. The word that it actually used in the Greek is logikos, which we get the word logical from. His literal translation is, this is your logical response. This is your logical act that you should do. In light of God's mercy, this is your logical response, is becoming a living sacrifice. It's reasonable. It's smart. It's appropriate. It's the only thing to do is become a living sacrifice. That's what we should do. That's our logical response to God's mercies. And it says when we become a living sacrifice that this is something that's holy and it's pleasing to God. Not only is it logical, but, but when we are living sacrifice, it honors God. It's, it's a holy sacrifice. It's something holy for a holy God. So what does it mean? What does being a living sacrifice mean? Anybody use that terminology this week? You just walked around and you're like, yeah, I'm just a living sacrifice today. No, right? Like, I, I don't even know in what context we would use those words other than because we read it here in Romans chapter 12. So what does a living sacrifice mean? What does that look like? Well, I think to understand that, we kind of got to go back uh, to the Old Covenant, to the Old Testament, when, when Moses received the law from God on Mount Sinai, and, and they were under the, the law, and it had all the different sacrifices that they had to do for the forgiveness of sins, uh, to worship God, and all those, those different things. So let's, let's look back for a second. There was many different sacrifices and, and offerings that worshipers would bring to, uh, at first it was the tabernacle and later it was the temple. Uh, we we kind of sang that song, Take Me Into the Holy of Holies. That was kind of a picture of the tabernacle. It was a picture of, uh, of the temple. Take me by the altar. Take me into the inner courts. You know, all these different things. So you've got this, this temple, you've got the tabernacle in the Old Testament that is on the sacrificial system. And there was several different kinds of sacrifices that you can read about it. There was the, the burn offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the unintentional sin offering. You know, there was an offering for everything, right? And so they would, they would make sacrifices. And you can kind of break them down to two different categories. There was mandatory sacrifices, and then there was voluntary, or voluntary sacrifices, right? So you got two different categories, mandatory, voluntary. Uh, mandatory would be the sin offering, 
that they would need to bring for forgiveness of sins, to, to take place of your sins, the, the unintentional or the trespass offering. Remember in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, for the wages or the penalty of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. So in the Old Testament, same law applied, the penalty of sin is death. When you sin, someone had to die. Right? We, we were supposed to die for our sin, but under this law, under this covenant, what they would do is they would bring in an animal, uh, maybe a bull or a ram or a goat, and instead of them dying, they would place this animal on the altar and, and give it to God, and it would die in their place. And it would take the penalty for their sin. So that, those were the mandatory sacrifices. Now, the voluntary ones, uh, one of those was the whole burnt offering. And this was an offering that was given entirely to God. You see, the other offerings, a lot of the sin offerings, different things like that, the priests would kind of take their cut uh, of the animal because they needed food to eat too, right? So they would, they would take some of the best parts of the animal. They'd give uh, the, the best parts to God. They'd take the other parts. And, you know, sometimes they did some interesting stuff. They, they waved it before God, and then they ate it. And, you know, they, they did some, some things. But uh, it, was, it was for the priests, and then they would also sacrifice it to God. But the whole burnt offering, none of it would go to the priests. This was all dedicated solely to God. And the reason why worshipers would come and do this whole burnt offering was, was simply to say, God, we love you. We didn't mess up. We didn't do anything like that. It's just you have blessed us, and we want to praise you. We want to give you what you deserve. So we're going to take uh, the best animal from our flock, one without any spot, one without any blemish, and we're going to give it wholly devoted to God as a way to say, Lord, we trust you. Lord, we trust you. So this wasn't... Uh, you know, anything ordinary, it was to say, I'm 100% dedicated to God. All right, so how does this relate to today? What does it mean to be a, a living sacrifice? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5:17 that he hasn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? To, to be the fulfillment of that law. And so what he did was when he died on the cross for our sins, he was perfect. He was spotless. He was without blemish. And he died in our place. See, Jesus became the, the ultimate and final sin offering for us. That, that's what he became. And if you want to read more about that or how that all works, you can read the book of Hebrews. It'll, it'll tell you more about that. But he became the ultimate sin offering for us. He doesn't need to die again. Uh, we, we don't have to sacrifice any animals or anything like that. Jesus became the ultimate sin offering. So to be a living sacrifice is not a sin offering. It's not something that you do to be forgiven. Uh, this is a, a voluntary sacrifice that we make. It's, it, it's, it's a voluntary offering. It's like the whole burnt offering to be a living sacrifice. It's where we respond to God's greatness. In response to his never-ending mercies, we offer ourselves wholly and completely holding nothing back to God. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice is to say, God, I am all yours. I'm all yours. We're not to just give him part of us. We're not to just give God the leftovers, right? That's, that's what we're tempted to do. Oftentimes, it's saying, you know what, God? Um, I'll read my Bible today if I have time at the end of the day. Anybody ever said that? You don't read your Bible at the end of the day, right? You never, we run out of time. That's giving God the leftovers, 
to, to give God the full part of us, we say, you know what, God? I'm going to start out my day by reading your word. I'm going to carve out space. I'm going to dedicate this time because, God, I want to give you my best. Sometimes we, we give God leftovers by saying, you know what, God? Um, I know you told me to tithe, but we'll, we'll just kind of see where things shake out at the end of the month. You know, if I got some money left over, then I'll give it to you. No, God, God doesn't want your leftovers, right? God wants your, your first. He wants your finest. He wants your best. He, he tells us, bring in the whole tithe, right? Bring in the whole, the whole 10%. Make that 10% the first thing that you give. And watch God bless it as we become a living sacrifice, right? Sometimes we say, all right, God, you can have my Sunday mornings from 1030 till noon. But boy, if we go past noon, I'm walking out of there. I'm getting a pizza ranch, right? And then from Monday through Saturday is mine, God. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And, and so we, we just give God part of us. But he's saying, no, I want the whole thing. I want the whole thing. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. is isn't just to give God part, but it's to give God everything. Sometimes we like to say, all right, God, you can have all the things that look good on the outside. I'll give those to you. But those, those parts that I don't like, I'm just going to keep them to myself. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to offer those things up to you, God. But, uh, and, and so we, we hold on to our sin because we're ashamed, because we think that, that God doesn't want that. But, but he wants everything. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. Some of you, you have talents. You have gifts that God has given you. And we can easily use those talents and gifts to bless ourselves, right? To get that promotion, to get that raise, to use them for God. But then when we're asked to use them as part of the church or to bless somebody else, it's like, oh, I'm too busy. I can't do that. No, no. And so we hold on to those gifts for ourselves. And we don't put them on the altar, so to speak, and say, God, you can have everything I have. See, God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants all of us. He wants the good and the bad. He wants us to be a living sacrifice. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 9. He says, a follower, uh, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. I mean, literally, he says, pick up your cross daily. Pick up your cross daily. I always find that funny because uh, crosses weren't cool things at that time, right? They weren't wearing a cross around their neck. They didn't have crosses up on the wall. A cross was like, has anybody got an electric chair around your neck today? You know, like, no, it's not a good thing. Like, that, that's a scary thing. And that's what it was. Day. But he's saying, be ready to die for me. Be ready to die. That's what being a living sacrifice is. It, it's saying, Jesus, today, if it was demanded to cost my life or to follow you, I'm going to follow you even if it costs me everything. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to deny my wants. I'm going to put you first, God. God, I'm yours. You can have all of me. See, it was easy to say that when we were first saved, but it's the tendency of living sacrifices to get up off the altar and walk away, right? It, it's tough. Being on the altar is uncomfortable. You know, like, God, do I have to stay on this, this, this table, on this altar forever, God, that willing to change? Because we like to just say, all right, that's it. That's enough. All right, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm good. We'll wait till next week. No, he's saying daily, daily, place yourself on the altar daily say, God, I'm all in. Lord, help me to stay humble. Help me to stay reliant on you. This is our logical response. 
This is our logical response to the amazing mercies of God. It just makes sense. See, the Christian life is to daily give our lives over in obedience to God, motivated by Jesus, who did the same for us. Think about that. Jesus was a living sacrifice for you. He, he died and he rose again. He gave it all for you. So the logical response is to give it all for him. Right? That's our logical response. I like uh, the way Tim Keller uh, puts it. He's a, a pastor and, and author, and he says this, anything less than a total, complete sacrifice of yourself to God is completely irrational. Think about that. Anything less than a total and complete sacrifice of yourself to God is completely irrational. We want to be rational people. We want to give God our everything. Now, the, the rest of the chapter, uh, from verse 2 on, it, it kind of goes into uh, telling us practically what it looks like, what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. Uh, it often compares and contrasts the old way we used to live, you know, to please ourselves to the new way we need to li live to please God, to be a living sacrifice. So verse 2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the first thing it says, if you want to be a living sacrifice, you need to renew your mind. You need to renew your mind. You need to change the way you think. You see, for years, we have just conformed to the way of the world. Before you met Jesus, it was we're, we're inundated constantly by what the world tells us we need to do and how we need to live, and you need to be successful. You need to do A, B, and C if you want to be successful. If you want to get to the top, uh, you need to wear these clothes, drive this car, have this job, make this much money, be friends with these people, right? All these different things the world's telling us, this is how you need to live. But as living sacrifices, we need to be transformed. We need to shift our thinking. See, the Bible tells us if you want to be the greatest, you need to be the least. If you want to be first, you need to be last. Well, that's, that's, not, what the, that's not what the world tells us. Right? If you want to be first, you need to be first. But the Bible says if you want to be first, you, you've got to be last. If you want to have success in God's kingdom, we need to put Jesus first. We need to, in humility, consider others greater than ourselves. And then you can put yourself in there, right? Uh, Jesus, then others, and then yourself. That's, that's kind of God's uh, acronym. Spell that out. It spells joy, right? Anybody know it? Jesus, others, and yourself. Spells, spells joy. And that's how we're supposed to live. You want joy in your life? Put Jesus first. Put others in front of yourself. But the problem is, sometimes we flip that. We put ourselves first, right? Then you have a yoge problem. Because you're completely upside down. You're completely flipped. And you have no more joy in your life because you've got a yoge problem, right? It's yourself and then others and then, then, then Jesus. And, and that's what the way the world wants to tell you to live. But Jesus says, no, flip that upside down. Put him first. As living sacrifices, we need to deny ourselves. We need to follow Jesus and humility, consider others better than ourselves. See, renewing our minds has to do with, with getting truth inside of us. There, there's so many different ways the world lies. I mean, you've got commercials and TV and movie and radio and music and all these different things telling you you need to live this way and live this way and live this way. Well, we need to make sure that, that we're putting the truth inside of us. 
right? We got to make sure that we're putting God's word inside of us. Otherwise, we're going to give in to the lies. So we need to, we need to get in God's word because this is what's going to transform you. This is what's going to renew your mind. It's God's word. It's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you see the world around you, right? It's going to completely flip everything for you. So I challenge you, get into God's word because it says when we do that, when we renew our thinking, when we renew our minds, that then we will see, we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. God's perfect and pleasing will. Anybody want to know what God's will is for your life? Right? Anybody prayed for that? Well, here it tells us, right? We need to renew our thinking. We need to get into God's word. That's how we're going to find God's will for our life. That's how we're going to be able to see his plan. So that's one thing we can do to be a living sacrifice. Second thing uh, we we find in uh, verse 3, it says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Verse 6 says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Right? So it gives us this picture of the church and what the church, and how we can become part of the church. So the second thing I would say to be a living sacrifice from this passage, we need to become a contributing member of the church. Become a contributing member of the church. That means more than just sitting in a pew on a Sunday, but be a contributing member. To be a living sacrifice, we have to be less about ourselves, and we have to be more about others. It says, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. But think of yourself with sober judgment, right? Think of yourselves rationally and, and, and logically. Did you know that, I mean, this might be tough for some of you, but you are not God's greatest gift to the world, right? Some of us, that's how we act. They're just like, look at me, you know, I'm better than everyone else, right? But that's, that's not true. Does anybody know somebody who's better than you? Why is nobody raising their hand, all right? We just, we, we, we'll figure that out, right? There, there's always somebody better. There's somebody who always has better gifts or better skills than us. But when we, we take time to realize that we're not all that, but, but that we want to love other people, we realize that we're part of something much bigger than just us. We're part of the church, right? Not, not just AFA, but we're talking the capital C church, the, the church around this world who, who is all lifting up the name of Jesus right now, right? They've been doing it all day long in every time zone. They've been lifting up the name uh, of Jesus. And, and so we respond logically by becoming part of the church, by becoming a living sacrifice. You see, God gave us grace, not so we can hold on to it, but that we can operate in grace. So we can operate in grace. He didn't give it to you just so that you can be a hoarder of grace, but so you can be a giver of grace. So we need to use God's grace to give grace. This is an incredible way to become an, uh, a living sacrifice, to be more like Jesus. And that's what this is talking about. To be part of the church, you need to give grace to other people. You need to give grace. You need to love other people. So how do we give grace to other people? 
All right, so God, we, we talked about it earlier, that God has given us grace to have peace with God, right? And so because we now have peace with God, we are capable of having peace with others around us, to give grace to other peoples around us. Because God has forgiven us of our sins, now we can forgive others. Did you know this? This is a fun fact. You can forgive somebody without them asking. Think about that. Some of us, we're sitting here waiting like, well, I'll forgive them when they come back and ask for forgiveness. No. No, we can forgive them without them asking. Right? And that's a revolutionary concept. Because some of us, we're struggling. We're, we're going around. We, we, we're holding on to, to hatred. We're holding on to bitterness. And it's because we're waiting for the other person. We can forgive because God's forgiven us. Right? We can give grace because God's given us grace. Now, sometimes we stop there. We stop with grace, and we, we, we finish the definition of grace as forgiveness. But I'm thankful that God didn't stop there with his grace. Right? He could have just said, all right, you're forgiven. I saved you from the pit. You get to go to heaven. Good luck. But he didn't do that. He just keeps giving us gifts. He just keeps giving us all of these, these different things like we talked about. He, he, he gives us resurrection power living inside of us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us and, and to use us in powerful ways. He helps us to pray. He gives us access to the throne room of heaven, right? All of these gifts that he gives us, he adopts us. He gives us hope. So what gifts are you giving to other people around you? Not because they deserve it, but just because... God gave you grace. What grace are you giving to the people around you? Think about that. It says that God's given us these gifts. If you, if you look at the end, it, it says he's given each of us a gift. Some of us prophesying. Some of us serving. Some teaching, encouraging, contributing, leadership, showing mercy. He's given us all a gift. So let me ask you this. How are you using that gift to be part of the church? How are you using that gift? How are you using the gifts that God has given you to be part of the church? Because that's God's plan. That's God's plan is, is he gives us gifts so that we can use it for others, not so we can use it for ourselves. Now, this is a powerful passage this, uh, uh, the, that describe these seven different things that, that God gives us, right? Different, uh, different things. And I, I wish we could have more time for this, but uh, let me do a little plug. In just a couple months this fall, uh, Vicki Rohrbach is going to be leading a study on these seven gifts. And I challenge you, go to that class. She's a phenomenal teacher, and she's going to uh, just share deeply in God's Word and help you to identify some of these characteristics in your life and how you can apply them. So that's just a little side note. Uh, we'll tell you more about that in, in the coming weeks. But, but man, God's doing an incredible work through people in the church. He's given us gifts so we can operate as a body, as a body. Because it, it gives this picture of the church is a body. You know, each part of your body is unique. It has its own function. You know, you've got hands that do hand things. You know, you've got eyeballs that do eyeball things and ears that do ear things. You know, you, you've got all these different parts that have all their different functions. And each one is important. Each one's important. When you have a body part stop working, you notice it, right? Even if it's just a pinky toe. Like, it, that's all you can think about is my pinky toes just not working today, right? We've we got to fix that. Now, think about it in church terms. So, imagine that you just decided, I don't need to show up to church anymore. You know, I'll just watch online. You know, I'll just, and, and, and you're not here. Well, that's like 
Somebody just chopped off our hand, right? If you're not here, then we're missing part of the body. The, 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 the church isn't functioning the way the church should function because you're not here. So it's important, number one, to just show up, right? Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That happened back in Paul's day too, right? So we, we, need, we need to show up. But not only do we need to show up, we need to contribute. We, we need to use those gifts. We, we need to, to put those into action because uh, imagine now that you, you've got all your body parts, everybody's here, but some of them aren't functioning, right? Can you imagine just going through life and being like, oh, good, the servers are here, you know, the people who have the gift of serving, but, you know, they're not serving. So it's just like your arms aren't working anymore. You know, hey, you know, that would be weird. You know, we, we've got to put them to use. Imagine if you got eyeballs, but you can't see. Because your leaders aren't casting vision. Right? Imagine if, if you've got a mouth, but you're not saying anything because those who are prophesying aren't, aren't speaking. Because they're holding it in. Like, yeah, I got a word from God, but I don't know. I don't know if it's for everybody. I don't know, you know. No. God's given you gifts, not so that you can hold on to them, but so you can use them. So you can use them. And, and what I love, it says, don't just do these things, but, but do them with joy. Right? It says, if you got the gift of giving, do it generously. You got the gift of leading, do it diligently. Like, put your whole heart into it. Put everything into it. Uh, if you've got the, the gift of showing mercy, do it cheerfully. Right? So God's not just saying, use it and be like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, I guess. No. Like, this is going to give you life. Like, when, when you are, become a living sacrifice and say, God, I'm all yours, that's the most exciting time of life. Right? God is going to use you to do incredible things that are beyond your ability. Beyond your ability. But we need to be living sacrifices. And again, that all flows out of logical thinking in response to what God has done for us in his great mercy. The rest of the chapter, verse 9. Get a hold of this. This, this passage will shake you up a little bit. Uh, verse 9 says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Talked about that. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep the spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You can hear there's a lot of directive, a lot of commands in here. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if I were to read you this with no context, you would be thinking, man, we're back on that law system again. Right? We're, we're, we're out of the relationship, and now I've got to work on all Okay. Okay, practice hospitality, rejoice with those who rejoice, keep my zeal for God, uh, don't repay evil with evil. You know, and you got all this list, like, and you're trying to think, okay, can I check the box? Can I do all this? Can I do all this? But that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, because of God's great mercy, 
These are things that we need to naturally start doing. These are things that are going to happen when we become a living sacrifice. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we say, God, you can have all of me, all of a sudden these things are going to start popping up in your life. That you're going to be devoted to one another. That you're going to honor one another. That, that you're going to stop seeking revenge. You start going to be blessing your enemies. So if we can break it all down, I can break this down into one word. This kind of what we need to do to be a living sacrifice. And that's this. Love. Love. Specifically, you need to love God. Love uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And love your enemies. Got to love God and love people. Right? That sounds familiar. That's what we need to do. Love God and love people. So first off, love God. Uh, to be a living sacrifice, we need to love God. Now, now this one seems obvious. It would be really hard to be a living sacrifice and not love God. Right? That's why we're there in the first place. Verse 11 tells us, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never give up. It says to live in joy. Live in joy, waiting for God's return. That should be our attitude daily is just like, man, I'm happy today. Why? Because Jesus might show up, right? Jesus might, might come to take me. I, I can't wait for heaven, right? So we, we need to live in joy. It says we need to live patiently when we experience persecution, when afflictions come, when, when storms come in our lives, we need to live patiently saying, God, I trust in you. God, I know this is bad, but I trust in you. So I'm, I'm going to live patiently today because I love you. It says to live faithfully, to pray daily, to continue to talk with God, right? If we're in relationship with God, we should talk to him. Just like if you're in relationship with your spouse, you should talk to them every day, right? If you didn't, there would be something that's wrong. And, and so he's saying, hey, keep the lines of communication open. Let, let's talk. Pray faithfully. Second thing we need to do is love our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, that's, that's the next thing we need to do. And, and this one, uh, again, seems pretty obvious, maybe a little less obvious than, than loving God, but we need to love people in the church. John 13, 35 says, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Right? They'll, they'll, know, they'll know that you serve me because you love. And guess what? God is love. So that's, that's, we're just showing who God is by loving each other. It says to be devoted to one another in love, to honor one another above yourselves. So how do we do that? We honor people and love people through our resources. It says to share with those in need, to practice hospitality, right? To, to love on our brothers and sisters in Christ. Another thing it says to share with people is emotionally. Be there for people emotionally. Be there for the person in the pew next to you. When they're excited, when they're rejoicing, don't get jealous of them because God blessed them. Rejoice with them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If you see somebody next to you and they're having a hard time, it says mourn with those who mourn. Sit down and cry with them. You use your emotions to help people through their emotions. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And it says also that we need to connect with everyone. Connect with everyone. Sometimes we can think, well, you know, that person, uh, I've been saved a lot longer than them. You know, so that's... I, I don't know if I can connect with them or, uh, you know, that person, uh, they've got, you know, a, a different level of job than I do and, and so they don't connect or, you know, all these different reasons. But it says, don't be conceited to associate with people of low position, right? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And, and so we need to be able to talk to each other and love on each other. Now, the third one, this one's hard. You know, loving people who love Jesus is a lot easier, but loving people who are our enemies, loving people who don't love Jesus, loving people who don't like us, that's difficult. But it says we need to love our enemies. See, oftentimes we think that if we want to stand up for God, then we need to fight the people who are opposed to him. But that's, that's not how Jesus told us to live. Right? Think about, uh, you know, Jesus and the disciples uh, when, you know, the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. Peter's sitting there thinking, all right, I'm going to stand up for Jesus. I'm going to chop this dude's ear off. Jesus is like, no, stop it. Put your sword away, Peter. Give that to me. You're not responsible. He said, no, we're not fighting them, right? We've got to understand who the the real enemy is. See, it it says in here that if we want to overcome evil in this world, we can't fight it with evil. We can't fight fire with fire. Because as soon as we start to try to take revenge, we lose. We lose because we're no longer fighting good with evil. We're fighting evil with evil. But we overcome evil with good. So if someone persecutes you, yell at them. No. Someone persecutes you, it says bless them. Bless them. Someone treats you evilly, don't take revenge. Instead, feed them. Give them something to drink. Uh, Do what's right. And it says when you do this, it's like heaping burning coals on their head. So just let that, you know, sit with you a little bit. It, It says all that God's wrath that used to be meant for you, God knows how to use that for those who need it, for those who aren't following him. But that's not your job. You are not agents of God's wrath. You're agents of God's grace. You're agents of God's grace. So we need to bless people in hopes that we can win them to Jesus, in hopes that they don't have to experience God's wrath. That's our prayer. See, this isn't easy to do. It's not easy to love your enemies. But sacrifices are never easy. That's why they're called sacrifices. And we need to be a living sacrifice. God has called us to be a living sacrifice. And when you break it down and you see what Jesus did for us, it just makes sense. It's logical. God's mercies are so great. His mercies are so great. And and Mia, if you'd come. Again, our response of being a living sacrifice is all about Jesus becoming the ultimate sacrifice. Just pause for a moment. Think about that. Think about what Jesus did for you. You didn't have to do it. But Jesus came to this earth, and he lived a perfect life. And he went to the cross for you. Because he knew you couldn't save yourself couldn't save yourself and so he endured the pain not just the physical pain but the emotional pain he was mocked he was spit on he was tortured for you he carried the cross for you hands were pierced, his feet were pierced for our sin. And he died an excruciating death 
so we could have life. Just take a moment. Think about what Jesus did for you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we were destined for hell. There was no way out. There was no escaping that sentence. There was no escaping God's wrath. But Jesus came in and he saved us. And said all we needed to do was simply to say, confess with our mouth, Jesus, I believe that you're Lord. And believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And we'll be saved. We'll be new. Our slate will be wiped clean. We no longer have to live under law, but we can live in relationship. We can live in in the goodness of God. Romans chapter 8 tells us that God works all things out for the good of those who love him. He gives us new mercies every single day. He gives us access to heaven. He gives us hope. We had no hope before, but now we've got hope. I mean, think of all the mercies. Think God has given you breath in your lungs today. We've got reason to praise the Lord. We've got reason to give our lives to Jesus as a living sacrifice. It's a logical response in view of God's mercy. So church, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Is there part of being a living sacrifice today that that God's been speaking to you on. I mean, you can just feel your heart's pounding. Like, oh man, I got to work on this. Maybe it's renewing your mind. Maybe it's renewing your mind. You just haven't been in God's word enough. You've been living in the world too much and and you need God to change your thinking. You need to give up, you know, maybe that music that you're listening to or those movies that you're watching and you need to spend time in God's word. Maybe to be a living sacrifice, you you realize today the importance, man, I, I need to be part of the church. Not, not just go to church, I need to be part of the church. Maybe you say, you know, I, I don't have much to, to give, but hey, where can you use me? What, what, are, what are different areas? I was just talking to Emily up there, a pro presenter today. She says, hey, we could use some help up there. We could use some more people. Maybe, maybe it's just giving our gifts to God. What is it that God, what's a gift God's given you that you can use to bless other people? Right? How can you extend grace today? Maybe it's somebody you need to forgive. That you've been holding on to. You've been holding that grudge. You've been holding that bitterness. And today is the day that you say, "What, God, in view of the cross, I'm going to let go. I'm going to forgive them, even if they're not worthy. Because you know why? God, you forgave me when I wasn't worthy. You forgave me while I was still your enemy. What do you need to let go of today? Maybe you need to start loving people. Right? Maybe you need to start loving people. Maybe you need to uh, show hospitality to somebody that you've just been closed off to. Say, I don't have time for you. No, you need to welcome them in. Love on them. Maybe you just need to go, you know, meet that person at church that you've never met before. And you can extend grace that way. You can be a living sacrifice that way. Or maybe it's, it's somebody that you've viewed as your enemy for a long time that grump at work that just doesn't like you. Maybe you need to bring him donuts. I I don't know what it is. 
But I believe this week, I want to challenge you this week, what's one step that you can take to become more of a living sacrifice? Again, to be holy, devoted to God, everything, everything that we can say, God, take all of me. Take all of me, because all of me is yours. I just want to take a moment just, just, to, just to pray. Let's, let's think through this. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And I just want you to, to take a moment this morning. What's, what's that one thing? What's God speaking to you today that you need to change, that you need to give over to God, that you need to say, God, I'm yours. So I want you to just think about that. Maybe this morning uh, you've never actually experienced God's mercy. You've never experienced God's grace. Today can be your day. Today is the day that everything could change. Like we just talked about, all you need to do is say, Lord, I want to make you my Lord. I want to make you the director of my life. I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what you want to do. I believe you died and that you rose again. Forgive me. And God's going to change everything today. So what is, what's that one thing? What's that one step that you need to do? I want to pray for you. And I want you to just, just begin to pray. Just begin to pray that God would help you to be a better living sacrifice. Jesus, God, you see you see the thoughts. You, you see the things that, that we need to work on today. You see the hurt and the pain that we're dealing with. Lord, today I pray that you would help us to logically respond to your grace and your mercy. That we put ourselves on the altar and say, God, I'm all yours. Every part, the good and the bad. God, you can have, have my first, you can have my best. God, no longer am I going to give leftovers. But Lord, I'm going to give you everything that I have. I may not be perfect, but God, I'm all yours. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength. God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have living inside of us. God, you've given us resurrection power. And so Lord, I believe that you can help each one of us to take that step this week to do something greater for you. Help us to get in your word, to renew our mind. Lord, help us to be a contributor to our church. God, that, that, that we can not just be uh, receivers of grace, but God, we would operate in your grace to the people around us. Help us to love others. Help us to love you. Help us to love those who oppose us. Use us today. Help us to be your church. In Jesus' name, amen.